Welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of Action for Healthy Communities and is provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Today's host is Mario Espinosa Kulik. You are invited to listen, learn, and participate in the conversation today. Thursday, between 1 and 2, call in and be part of the discussion at 805-549-8855, and we will pass your question along to the panel. Or you can email your questions directly to voices at kcbx.org. And now, let's join Mario and his guests. Over to you, Mario. Welcome back, everybody, to Central Coast Voices. I'm your host, Mario Espinosa Kulik, uh, and this is KCBX, your Central Coast listener-supported radio station. The voices with mine today are Trent Johnson, co-chair of the San Luis Obispo Tobacco Control Coalition and program manager of the Tobacco Policy Studies Research Group at the Stanford Prevention Research Center. We also have Amy Gilman, tobacco control program manager at the San Luis Obispo County Public Health Department, and Ari Hallemeiser, a Cal Poly Health Club president and fourth year student in the public health program at Cal Poly. So um, I am uh, so excited to get this show started. We're gonna be talking about the US, the US, the use of tobacco in our communities and current efforts to address its negative effects. The CDC reports that tobacco use remains the leading cause of preventable death and disability in the United States despite a significant decline in the number of people who smoke. The pattern of tobacco use among youth and young adults continues to be a major health concern. And in 2019, more than 35% of U.S. high school students reported using tobacco products, including e-cigarettes. We'll discuss how communities on the Central Coast can work together to decrease teen and adult tobacco use and, in turn, save lives. So welcome, Trent, Amy, and Ari. I'd like to begin by having our listeners get to know each of you a little bit and how you come to work in the, uh, the work that you do in the community. Can you please share about the work uh, you do and how you came into your current position, Trent? Hi, Mario. Thank you so much for having us. Um, sure. So I, uh, right after college, I began working in San Francisco um, in the financial district, and I would commute through the Tenderloin uh, every day from my residence. And I was really struck by um, the health disparities and health inequities that I saw on my way to work each and every day. And I was really struck by the physical and built environment, the stores and what products they sold in different neighborhoods and how the the health of the products really um, and accessibility of those products and marketing in those stores really differed from other areas in the city. Um, and so I went on to pursue my master's in public health uh, really interested in the built environment, um, how the neighborhood you live in and grow up in can affect your health. Um, today, I work at the Stanford Prevention Research Center, and we study the retail environment for tobacco. Um, we evaluate the effects of tobacco policy, uh, both locally and also at the state and federal level, and look at how those policies affect the retail environment, what we experience when we go into stores that sell tobacco products, and by this I mean gas stations, pharmacies, supermarkets, as well as tobacco specialty shops, Um, and then how that in turn uh, can affect the use of tobacco and nicotine by young people and adults. Thanks, Trent, and thanks for the work that you do. Amy, would you like to tell us about yourself? 
Sure. Um, I am a uh, also a public health uh, specialist, and I've actually worked in various uh, subject areas over my career and uh, got the opportunity to begin working with the, the county's tobacco control program about two years ago. Uh, for me, it is an incredible program uh, with many policy and public education opportunities um, to try and help everyone see the different um, policies, systems, and environments and what can be changed to make their own community the healthier place that they would like to be. Um, and I did get drawn to the tobacco program because me and my family have had such an experience with with tobacco use ourselves. And so we have seen how programs and the environment actually Im impact how we utilize tobacco over the years. Um, definitely um, being shrunk in the areas that we could smoke in public, that was a good thing. We learned to recognize that that was helping protect us and other people. So um, definitely a, a lived experience with, with this product. Thanks, Amy. Excited to have you here with us. Ari, how did you get involved in the work that you do and your current role? Yeah, well, I, um, I'm currently a public health major at Cal Poly, and I initially entered knowing I wanted to do public health, but it's a very broad field, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I had the pleasure of joining one of my professor's uh, uh, research teams, and we have been doing some tobacco control work, um, which we incorporated. I'm president of Public Health Club, and we incorporated that into some public health club events. Uh, and really, it's just what what kind of drew me to this field of public health is that a major part of public health is equity. And something that you really end up seeing with tobacco, especially, is that it's very inequitable. It targets certain populations more than others. It's really going into some unethical practices. And it's something that can be addressed and it's a it leads to deaths that are very much preventable so if we can save lives then why not happy to meet you ari and thank you everyone for being here on central coast voices let's kick off the show and move into our discussion about tobacco use and prevention in our local communities um, something that we've seen um, in in the state is the regulation of the sale of tobacco and as a strategy to decrease its use how has that affected how much people are using tobacco. Would anyone like to start that off? I would love it if Trent could um, could work on this from the policy angle. Sure. Um, I mean, over the last, what, 20, 30 years, uh, the state uh, rates of smoking have plummeted, right? We have gone from um, over 30% of adults using uh, a tobacco product or smoking, and that rate today is um, a third of what it used to be uh, around 10 percent of adults currently use cigarettes um, and the way we reached that decline was really through policy change so um, i don't know if you know mario but san Luis obispo city adopted the first smoke-free restaurant and bar policy in the entire nation and they were really um kind of breaking the trend right the uh smoking inside was kind of kind of commonplace back back in the 80s and 90s and before that. Um, and so Slow went out on a limb to do this to protect its residents from the harms of secondhand smoke 
Um, and slowly, the rest of California and much of the nation followed in its footsteps. Um, today, it is kind of odd to go into an indoor space and experience that, that smoke um, that, that we know is there. I mean, you go to a city like Las Vegas, and it still persists. Um, but in California, we're protected from those secondhand smoke uh, that is known to cause tobacco-related disease. Similarly, um, the state of California, across the state, local cities and jurisdictions have begun passing policies to reduce the sale of flavored tobacco products, which we know appeal to young people. Um, four out of five kids who use a tobacco product start with flavored tobacco products. And nationally, over 2 million middle and high school students use e-cigarettes, most of which are flavored. So these flavored policies get those products out of stores and out of communities. Um, so today, 134 California, California jurisdictions prohibit the sale of some or all flavored tobacco products, including Morro Bay, which has banned all flavored tobacco products. Um, a couple other cities in our county ban flavored vapes, which is a fantastic first step. Um, but policies uh, are one of the best ways to really protect people from purchasing these products and seeing them every day when they go into a gas station um, or a convenience, a, a convenience store or a supermarket, because that serves to normalize the sale of these products. Um, so these, these gains in reduction of tobacco use have been much in part to, to uh, the hard work of the policy makers and the nonprofit organizations which help support them. I appreciate the policy perspective there and how that uh, affects the, the the control, right, that folks to help people and save their lives. Um, we mentioned that young people make up the majority of new smokers. So I'm, I'm wondering how, um, like what factors af affect that use of tobacco among youth? Why, why are there four out of five kids that start with flavored tobacco? Uh, I'll take a stab at this. Um, uh, it is interesting how uh, the industry is is ever uh, evolving in order to avoid regulation, but also to increasingly become more useful, more attractive, um, and uh, and attractive in terms of looks and technology, but also in terms of the flavors. Um, it's like a smorgasbord of flavors that that people can try, and and that in itself is extremely attractive, particularly to to young people that plus the sweetness of the flavor it's truly like candy and um uh it's it is as if the uh, tobacco industry is intentionally trying to attract young smokers to make sure that they have an ongoing market for their product and ari you mentioned this uh this sort of um, ethical perspective on the targeting of certain populations um, what what uh, what would you describe as like an example of of these um, of the targeting or marketing to young people? Well, what you'll see with a lot of these electronic cigarettes, uh, vapes, is a lot of them are targeted similar to tech products or toys with lots of bright colors. Uh, they're made to look like tech toys, all these sorts of devices. 
Um, and that's part of the reason why they're so appealing to children is because it's something that they can identify with or teens. Um, and on top of that, really, again, it kind of goes down to those flavors. When you have traditional tobacco flavors, which can be sometimes harsh for teens to get started with, whereas some seasoned smokers may be used to those flavors. Uh, it's much easier to get hooked when you're smoking bubblegum, blue raspberry, chocolate, something like that. So it's, again, it really stems down to these flavors and the way that they're advertised. And and for, that, oh, Mario, Mario, if I could just add some more on that, on the advertisement, it really is interesting um, how uh, young people have been portrayed in both social media and print advertisement um, for the, for the, the newer um, products. Um, and in fact, Juul, one of the largest companies, um, has actually just um, settled on a major case and more cases are coming through up to um, half a billion dollars because they were found liable for um, um, marketing to um, a targeting uh, youth, which was which is against the law. So um, that advertisement clearly has um, negative impacts because it does trigger youth to start using. Are there any and, differences between cigarettes, cigars, and e-cigarettes in terms of, of how that affects somebody's health? Um, the major difference between um, cigarettes and e-cigarettes, I'm going to lump the, uh, the cigars in with cigarettes because mm -hmm. the big difference there with those, the main uh, description for those two products is that they're based upon a tobacco leaf that then rolled in, into something that can be smoked. The huge difference and the major change that is really messing with the markets and, and unfortunately with, with our young people is the, the creation of these electronic smoking devices, otherwise called vape. Um, that is actually a lab or workshop created e-juice that goes inside a battery-driven uh, thing that then the person smokes. They inhale actually a gaseous vapor, which is filled with uh, chemicals and flavorants that then go into their lungs. So there is a difference in the health impacts for uh, cigarettes and cigars. Um, those two have um, tar and carbon monoxide, which are hugely de detrimental to a body. And tar especially um, drives much of the cancer that's associated with, with tobacco products. Um, E-cigarettes or vapes don't have those two products, but they have more than a thousand chemicals that are involved in, in the, that's in the e-juice. And we don't yet know the impacts of um, of the, uh, excuse me, of that, e, of that e-cigarette use. We know um, in the short term that um, it can uh, cause mouth sores, nosebleeds, um, and because it includes nicotine, it can increase your adrenaline, um, your heart rate, and ultimately can, can lead to a heart attack. But we don't fully know the impacts of smoking e-cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Trent. Yeah, let me just build on that, that nicotine is the addictive piece of all of the products that you mentioned, right? 
Um, and so vaping products and cigarettes are, are just as addictive. Um, but nicotine on its own is harmful, particularly to young people, because it harms brain development and can impact attention, mood, and impulse control. I appreciate you uh, bringing that into the discussion. Ari, were you going to say something? Oh, um, just on the, the last point uh, regarding the ethics of it all, um, there there is, in fact, some evidence of within the tobacco industry, uh, uh, documents referring to children as replacement smokers. Because when you have a population that smokes, it, it is a population that is at a risk of death. So they need replacement smokers. And that's what they refer to children as. And that's why they use e-cigarettes and these flavors to hook these replacement smokers and feed the cycle. I'm Mario Espinosa Kulik with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, your Central Coast listener-supported radio station. The voices with mine today are Trent Johnson, co-chair of the San Luis Obispo Tobacco Control Coalition and program manager of the Tobacco Policy Studies Research Group at the Stanford Prevention Research Center. We also have Amy Gilman, Tobacco Control Program Manager at the San Luis Obispo County Public Health Department, and Ari Hallemeiser, Cal Poly Public Health Club President and fourth-year student at Cal Poly in the Public Health Program. We've been talking about tobacco use and the effects of tobacco products, uh, especially the addictive properties of nicotine and the harmful impacts that using any of these products has on your health. In the next session, I'd like to discuss some of the dynamics locally in the San Luis Obispo area and efforts that are underway to address tobacco use. We do invite and welcome you to bring your questions or comments about today's topic to our guests. To do that, call 805-549-8855, or you can email them to voices at kcbx.org. The American Lung Association conducts an annual evaluation of tobacco control policies, which includes efforts to ensure smoke-free outdoor air and in-shared housing, along with regulations on the sale of tobacco products. The 2022 report shows that San Luis Obispo received a C, with Morro Bay earning a B, and the rest of the cities in the county, including Arroyo Grande, Atascadero, Grover Beach, Paso Robles, and Pismo Beach, all receiving a D designation. What are some of the efforts that are currently in place in the county that are working? Amy, would you like to start us off? Sure, and, and thank you for, for mentioning this really valuable annual report that the American Lung Association does does provide. They do a phenomenal job of identifying key practices, uh, evidence-based practices um, that can be turned into policy that cities can then use as a model of how they want to, if they would like to improve the environments that... Um, help limit people's exposure to uh, secondhand smoke, but also um, uh, restricting access to products. And again, that's um, aimed at um, trying to protect youth from the, um, the, the addictive um, products. Um, so this report does, does break our county down by the unincorporated area and by each city. And each of these jurisdictions does get to choose if it wants to address policy. And so um, with community interest and community demand um, for particular policies, um, a city council or a board of supervisors can 
consider if it wants to adopt these policies. And again, um, the ones that are listed in in the American Lung Association's report are um, evidence-based proven uh, policies that um, support uh, community health. Um, We do um, make sure that each of our cities and and county um, have this report each year and so that they can consider um, uh, these policies. Um, And we also include these issues when we're doing community and parent education. Um, We let um, our community members know that these these policies are options if that's uh, what they would like to um, encourage for their own communities. And what um, education programs are available for our community? Um, There are um, some educational programs that uh, target uh, school-aged children. Um, We partner with our County Office of Education and um, our behavioral health um, prevention and outreach teams to uh, do in-classroom education, again, with the aim of trying to prevent youth initiation of tobacco products. We also um, partner with these uh, uh, same partners for um, parent forum nights where we're trying to share the information with with parents and and teachers as well. Um, They certainly are seeing um, uh, vape use in schools and they're quite concerned about it. Um, And so we're there um, to provide that education uh, to them and certainly link um, families and schools up with resources as possible. Trent, in in as far as the the San Luis Obispo Tobacco Control Coalition, um, how how are you engaged in these efforts? Yeah, thank you. Um, let me just piggyback on what Amy was saying, and then I'll answer your question. Um, my my kids all attend Pacheco Elementary here in San Luis Obispo, and they actually attended an assembly with some BMX bike riders um, that was sponsored by the Tobacco Use Prevention Education and the um, County Education Department, and they had messaging around uh, the addictiveness of nicotine um, and to remain tobacco-free. So they came home and were able to share that assembly with with me, which they were excited about because they know that I work in tobacco control. Um, To your point, the coalition uh, has the mission of educating, advocating, and developing policy to achieve a tobacco-free community to enhance the health of Slow County. you know, we have monthly meetings and try and engage a variety of, of stakeholders across our community. We run a Instagram page, um, which is increasing in followers. We could always do better. Um, but we try and push out messages about the harms of tobacco use, cessation and quit resources, um, and then uh, local policy initiatives uh, that people can get involved with. Um, I know that we have also been involved with collecting data to inform um, decision makers at city councils and such. So we do environmental scans, collecting up tobacco waste is a huge concern and problem with tobacco. Um, something like 70% of all cigarettes are littered and that adds up, right? And our, our beaches are one of our county's uh, most precious resources. Um, and you find uh, tobacco and vape litter all over the beaches. And so there's um, cleanup uh, days where we go and we collect all the litter and we document what types of litter we find um, and try and log that so and, and use that as educational material. Amy. Amy, did, 
I, yeah, I did. I wanted to add, um, Trent was um, really kindly describing how the, the coalition works, and I wanted to promote its, um, it ha- also supports a really educational um, page, uh, um, an internet page, um, tobaccofreeslo.org. On there is an interactive map of local policies. So again, this is where a community member can compare local policies with with the policies that are listed in the American Lung Association's uh, report and see what policies are actually in play in our cities and in our county. I just wanted to promote that. They've done a really good job with that website. An excellent resource for our listeners and everyone that is involved in this work. Ari, did you want to share about the efforts that are underway at Cal Poly um, involving tobacco control uh, or even any services that are available for students to help quit smoking? Yes. Well, we have a very excellent campus health and well-being center that offers a lot of different services to students. And among those are different tools for quitting, uh, whether that's uh, one-on-one advising or smoking cessation prescription medications that are available to students often at very much uh, discounted prices. There's over-the-counter nicotine replacement therapy for students, staff, and faculty as well. Um, And there's also a program that's actually run by students called uh, Pulse, um, which is peer health education. And they provide different smoking-related presentations and uh, educational materials on the benefits of smoking cessation, uh, and how you can find further smoking resource, smoking cessation resources outside of Cal Poly. I appreciate you bringing up those services of cessation, especially on a college campus. And um, as somebody who went through cessation services at UC Santa Barbara when I was a grad student, I'm just like so grateful and indebted to their support, their one-on-one support. I mean, they had provided us with um, like lasagnes to help curb the the um, the appetite and all that. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to the folks who are doing those succession services for our young uh, people and students that are looking to change their lives. And I'll just promote that um, uh, in the week of... Uh, November 14th, um, there will be the Great American Smokeout. It's uh, what we call one of the national tobacco holidays, where um, there really is a big effort to um, uh, bring attention to the the availability of quit services and the value of quitting. And so I know there will be a, an event uh, occurring at Cal Poly at that, that week, and it will be a partnership between uh, our program and hopefully Pulse and I, I believe the, the Public Health Club as well. But um, that's yeah. that's in the works right now. And what date was that? We haven't identified exactly what day. So that's why I, was tr- I just said the week of um, November four, uh, 14th. Mm-hmm. The holiday itself is on the Thursday. But um, I think we're looking at the Tuesday or Wednesday to actually do that. Awesome. Block out your okay. calendars, everybody. For the I know. Hopefully there will be good marketing and we'll get the word out. Trent, did you have anything to add in the realm of uh, quitting uh, smoking services? Um, No, but it looks like we do have a question from a caller. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I just saw it. 
John from San Luis Obispo says he thought he would never be able to quit his 35-year habit, but was able to via vaping. He says it took five years, so over time, he went from 21 milligrams to zero and feels this should be an option. What do you all have to say to this comment from Sean? Absolutely. Congratulations on quitting quitting smoking. Fabulous. Um, Vaping or e-cigarettes have not yet been um, authorized by the FDA as a quitting device. However, um, people are certainly using it as a way to quit smoking. As Sean describes, he tapered the dose of nicotine in his vape. To um, So he tapered it down to a zero. It's a similar concept of using patches. You start at a larger dose, and as you wean yourself down over time with the use of patches, you get off your nicotine addiction. So it can be used that way. We don't love it as a... Um, not not as a quitting device that that's still not yet um an, an authorized um, method but we're more so fearful of youth starting with a vaping device and using it as their gateway into nicotine addiction that's more our concern yeah Ari. also if i might just add and please correct me if i'm wrong but one of the big things with vaping is that it should be important to distinguish that there are those candy flavors and those sweeter flavors and the, and there are flavors available that are not sweet, that are not as, uh, um, that, that are not so appealing to children. And really that's something that prop 31 is addressing is it's not, uh, uh, trying to ban every single flavor, but it's, it's trying to ban those candy flavors, those really, uh, um, those flavors that are dangerous for youth. And we'll have more to say on Prop 31 when we come back. We're going to take a short break to hear from our team and a little bit of music. Back over to you, Brad. And we will return to Central Coast Voices in just a moment. From the KCBX community calendar, the Santa Lucia chapter of the Sierra Club invites you to a historic walk of the old San Luis Cemetery on Sunday, November 13th from 2 to 3.30. Walk the guided stroll past graves of city pioneers and past the pyramid and graves of Civil War veterans. You'll also get to hear the compelling stories of the San Luis Obispo founders, too. For more information, visit our community calendar page at kcbx.org, which features arts, entertainment, and nonprofit events here in San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Southern Monterey counties. You can submit your item or event to be shared on our calendar page. It's right there on the website, kcbx.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, we tag along as Sayer Quevedo untangles the story of his lost family. I guess it's been a long time. And then my first time when I saw that she could be this woman was that uh wow i thought oh look she's been alive all this time and she didn't even bother to like look for me that's next time on latino usa the midterm election is less than a week away on the next fresh air we talk with journalist alexander burzon of the new york times she's been covering how right-wing activists who spread false claims of widespread election fraud are now mounting an aggressive effort to monitor voting in the midterms Join us.
Behind the ships and the trucks and the trains that keep stuff moving through this economy are the businesses that keep those machines going. Take locomotives. We are the only qualified vendor to do this repair. So if any GE engine fails around the world, we either have to go do it or it's got to come to us. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Behind the scenes of keeping the trains running on time next time on Marketplace. That's ahead on our Thursday here today on KCBX. Latino USA is coming up next at 2 o'clock. Then Fresh Air follows from 3 to 4, and then Marketplace from 4 to 4.30. And then it's uh, all things considered. Right now, let's return to Mario Espinoza Kulik and his guests on Central Coast Voices. And back to you, Mario. Thanks, Brad. The voices with mine today are Trent Johnson, co-chair of the San Luis Obispo Tobacco Control Coalition and program manager of the Tobacco Policy Studies Research Group at the Stanford Prevention Research Center. Amy Gilman is with us as well, tobacco control program manager at the San Luis Obispo County Public Health Department. And we also have Ari Hallemeiser, Cal Poly Public Health Club president and fourth-year student at Cal Poly in the public health program. We've been talking about programs and services to address tobacco use in San Luis Obispo County, but I do want to mention on how you can find out more information about our guests and the programs that they're affiliated with. You can find more information and keep up with the San Luis Obispo County Tobacco Control Coalition by visiting their website, www.tobaccofreeslow.org, where you can sign up for a monthly newsletter or and contact them directly. They are also on Facebook and Instagram at tobaccofreeslow. The Cal Poly Public Health Club posts updates to their Instagram page at CP Public Health, and you can contact them directly via email at cpphclub at gmail.com. For resources to quit tobacco, visit www.kickitcalifornia.org or visit www.tobaccofreeslow.org for other services. For this next session, I would like us to focus on how folks in the community can take an active role in supporting public health efforts and reducing unhealthy tobacco use. Ari, you mentioned before our break about S Prop 31, and it is voting season, so many people are eager to find out more on how they can help voice their opinion to make change in our state. So um, voters are currently being asked to weigh in on Prop 31, which would allow SB 793 to go into effect and ban the sale of flavored tobacco products throughout the state. How would this proposition impact our communities here on the Central Coast? Well, something that we really see is that there are a lot of counties in California that have those policies to ban flavored tobacco. But a big issue that I myself saw when I was in high school was that oftentimes students or siblings who are old enough would get those tobacco products from other cities, other counties. So really, a tobacco, a a flavor ban on e-cigarettes and vapes in the state of California would help curtail that. And we really do see in other states and uh, counties where those bans on flavors are implemented that there are decreases in usage. And again, something really important here is that these are not products that are maybe necessarily targeting existing smokers. But what really is key here is that it's targeting youth and it's getting them hooked on smoking. It's making that barrier of entry much lower than it should be. And that leads to further tobacco usage, maybe stepping up to other tobacco products. But really, again, what we're trying to do with Prop 31 is to prevent students from acquiring these 
flavored products that lead to that addiction. Thanks, Ari, for that perspective. Right. I, I would go ahead, Amy. Oh, no, I was, um, did, I saw Trent's hand up earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ari and Mario. Um, yeah, so locally, we already have four out of our eight policy making jurisdictions with some type of flavor ban. Um, in Morro Bay, we have a full strength flavor ban with few or no exemptions. Um, in the city of Slow and the county, and um, I believe Royal Grande. Uh, Royal Grande. Thanks, Amy. We have um, not full strength policies, but re- policies that restrict some flavored tobacco products. Right. Um, what the state policy would make a uniform policy throughout our county and across the state, so that even though you live in Morro Bay, where flavored tobacco products are currently restricted, they could just drive to, um, say, Atascadero and obtain those products. Um, mm-hmm. A uniform policy would kind of fill in those holes of the patchwork of uh, 134 California policy jurisdictions that have these policies. Um, nationally, 360 jurisdictions have banned some or all flavored tobacco products, including the entire state of New York and Massachusetts. So California is joining really good company. Um, but already 25% of our population lives with these flavored tobacco restrictions. What we're going to do is we're going to bring up the rest of the state um, to the same levels of protections. And what's interesting is if you look at who's protected, we actually see disparities in rural residents. So the more urban people living in urban areas um, are are more protected by these policies. So we're actually going to catch up more rural residents to that with more of the coastal um, areas. And Trent, would you say that or um, that this uh, Prop Thirty One that would be a statewide flavor ban is built off of the success and hard work of advocates and prevention that have been working to ban flavored products for uh, years? Absolutely, both the advocates, but also the research. Um, so there, there's a growing evidence base showing how effective flavor bans are. Um, so there's evidence out of Massachusetts following their statewide ban that shows that the sales of flavored tobacco products decrease drastically, like um, drastically. So we know that the sales of the products go away. Um, we know that from a study done in Massachusetts, um, evaluating the the ban of flavored products in the city of Lowell, that youth smoking prevalence began to fall just six months after the ban went into effect. In California, um, our group evaluated the San Francisco flavor restriction and found that the sale of flavored tobacco products decreased by 96% from before the policy to after enforcement. And then the sale of all tobacco products decreased by 25%. So just because flavored products are removed from shelves, um, the concern might be that people turn to an unflavored product. But what we're seeing is that overall tobacco product sales decrease, which means we're actually supporting people in quitting with these policies. Oh, quick shout out to all of our policy researchers and advocates, parents, and young people who've been working towards this effort to help change lives in our state. Thank you, Trent. Um, and one one thing that caught my um, attention was the dynamic between parents and young people uh, as it relates to tobacco use or being coming addicted on these flavored nicotine products. 
Are there any messages that you can share for parents that might be concerned about their kids being exposed uh, or becoming addicted to nicotine products? Sure. Um, really, um, uh, the best message is that, um, like many of the dangers in, in the world, um, the, the parents need to start talking with their children and, and put uh, tobacco and, and vapes on that list of issues that, that they should discuss with, with their kids. Um, the recommendation is, is to be very uh, natural about it. Uh, for example, if you're walking with your child and you see an advertisement for vapes or you see somebody else smoking on the streets, you can make a comment about it and start start a conversation with, with your child and, and help your child understand that you do have expectations uh, for them and, and that includes um, encouraging them to um, keep control of their body and that includes not accepting um, products that can get them addicted to, um, to um, uh, tobacco uh, and nicotine. Um, what the a second message and sorry that first part was long-winded um a second message is is that really parents should should be educating their their youth their children that uh vapes uh nearly always contain nicotine which as trent explained that is the addictive property and uh, that's really um wh- uh, what's in e- uh, vapes and and should be avoided to uh not get addicted what are some actions that friends or family members might be able to take to help support someone that they uh, care about to quit smoking? Um, absolutely be there for them. Recognize in advance that it is a process and it can be a long process. Like with um, any addiction, it's easy to fall off the wagon and uh, somebody might need encouragement to, to get back on there. Um, certainly listening and um, helping the person uh, retain focus on why they actually want to quit this addiction um, and and help that person keep their strength as they go through the process. Um, Another critical thing is helping the person link up to any available services. As Ari mentioned, in fact, there's two angles to um, helping um, people um, quit. Most effectively is to use both a counseling service, which um, there's a statewide um, program called Kick It California, um, and that can be found at kickitcalifornia.org. Um, but also tapping into um, your own insurance or buying it on your own, the nicotine nicotine replacement products such as the pass- patches, lozenges, or chewing gum, because that helps you manage your cravings as you're getting off of the product. But many people don't know that these two avenues are available, or maybe they just haven't taken the time to to establish the connection to to some type of of supportive counseling so if if you are helping someone maybe providing that link and that warm handoff could be really helpful yeah is there an average cost uh to these products or is there some way that folks can get them for free 
Um, they do cost, and um, on one hand, consider the cost that you're actually paying already for tobacco or vapes. So maybe it's an equal cost. Um, patches run anywhere from like thirty-five to seventy-five, seventy dollars um, for a pack of of fourteen patches. That's pretty expensive for most people. But again, considering it uh, to your um, existing tobacco expenses, maybe it's okay. However, I want to underscore that insurance these days does cover um, uh, nicotine replacement therapy. And so um, you can get a prescription through your primary care provider or other care provider, um, including your dentist, as a matter of fact, um, to get um, nicotine replacement. And it is covered by insurance. And we do have another question from a listener. What if you love someone resistant to quitting? That is a process of motivation. Um, there are stages of change that help people um, where you, they can, you know, their their readiness to quit really can can be measured. And uh, someone has to get to that point where they're um, where they really then value a reason to quit. And for me, it was with the. Uh, the uh, health of my mom, she got very sick. And so I recognized that I needed to quit in order to uh, quit, help her quit smoking as well. So that became my motivation. And so sometimes it's just helping someone talk through um, good reasons to no longer smoke. I appreciate you sharing that because it, re- it resonated with me because as somebody who had quit to smoking uh, just a few years ago, um, I couldn't have done it without my husband, Alex Espinosa Kulik, who, um, you know, we had our own system of support and there were low days and there were good days. And we've eventually both uh, stopped quitting, but it all was prompted because I was diagnosed as pre-diabetic um, in 2017. And uh, they were um, encouraged to quit smoking in support of my health and uh, vice versa. We just supported each other to the end. Yeah, it often takes teamwork and and truly um, uh, having supportive friends and partners um, uh, is is really valuable. Uh, There's some other, you know, um, little tricks that um, probably you've noticed in um, on um, uh, help um, uh, web pages like the American Lung Association um, also has um, very good resources for people who are trying to quit and for those who are supporting people who quit. So they're um, available at um, www.lung.org. Um, and uh, little things like distracting them when they start getting a craving uh, coming on, distracting them with pictures on your cell phone or something like that, or, or, um, um, maybe it's more of a longer, longer term uh, replacement uh, ritual, or uh, maybe it's an evening walk rather than an evening cigarette. So uh, just things that you can do together to help keep people distracted and not thinking about their nicotine. It takes time, but uh, you get there. I'm Mario Espinoza Kulik with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, Central Coast Public Radio, your listener-supported radio station. If you've recently joined us for today's show and want to listen to the entire broadcast, you can. It will be available on our website at www.kcbx.org under the On Demand tab. Click on Central Coast Voices and you'll find this show and many others to choose from. The voices with mine today are Trent Johnson, 
co-chair of the San Luis Obispo Tobacco Control Coalition and program manager of the Tobacco Policy Studies Research Group at the Stanford Prevention Research Center. Amy Gilman, Tobacco Control Program Manager at the San Luis Obispo County Public Health Department, and Ari Hallemeiser, Cal Poly Public Health Club President and fourth-year student at Cal Poly in the Public Health Program. We've been talking about tobacco use, cessation services, and how you can engage with loved ones who are, are uh, on a journey to quitting tobacco use and smoking. Uh, as well, we've covered how policy is involved in prevention um, and control of tobacco and the upcoming Prop 31, which will be on the ballots of many voters in California. We still have a little bit more time for your email questions or comments at voices at kcbx.org. We would love to hear from you. In this next segment, we'll discuss the role of the tobacco industry and how they have encouraged smoking in our communities and targeted vulnerable populations. The tobacco industry has historically targeted black communities with advertisements for menthol cigarettes. Researchers have identified a pattern where there are more tobacco advertisements in black and low income communities than in white neighborhoods. Today, this has resulted in the fact that nine out of 10 black smokers use menthol flavored products. According to research conducted by the University of California, San Francisco, cigarette smoking is highest among American Indians and Alaska Natives, with over a quarter of adults who smoke at 27.1%, followed by black adults at 14.1% and non-Hispanic whites at 13.3%. Asian and Latinx slash Hispanic adults smoke at the lowest rates at 8% of the adult population. The industry has also used the proliferation of flavored tobacco products to appeal to children, as we've talked about earlier today on our show, with bright, colorful advertising, packaging that looks like candy products, and advertisements that are placed at lower heights, which is eye level for kids and adolescents. How has the public health community been working to address racial justice and equity in terms of tobacco marketing and use? Thank you, Mario. Those are really big topics, and it is um, uh, really eye-opening to look at uh, uh, util- uh, data um, that looks at um, disease rates and cigarette use rates, and then even data that looks at the placement of uh, tobacco retail shops compared to various populations. Uh, the disparities are often are huge. Um as you mentioned, the Native American population um, is, is really quite high. And, and on, I just wanted to mention that it's important for us to recognize also that Native Americans do have traditional use of tobacco. And this has often been an organic and, and self-grown um, uh, product. And um, tobacco control efforts really don't try and look at that um, at all. That is certainly within that, that cultural approach. Um, but certainly it is worrisome if, if um, uh, far too many uh, Native Americans still are, are suffering from health disparities. Um, we do um, try and um, guide um, many of our um, educational um, activities to address it, uh, at least our major languages um, in, within the county, um, obviously English, um, but we also increasingly um, provide um, social media web page material and um, other informational flyers and presentations in both English and Spanish. And I've been really pleased to see that many of the supporting statewide and national web pages 
also offer um, translations. Um, they have both English and Spanish um, pages on, on their web pages, um, including Kick It California. Again, I've been mentioning Kick It California as um, the state's free quit service. They also provide a lot of um, information on their page, and you can toggle between English and um, Spanish. Um, also, uh, Kick It California provides um, quit services in six languages, and so they're um, really trying to reach um, our various populations within the state. Um, and that I do want to reemphasize that that's for anyone who's age 13 and up who is looking for some additional support um, wh while they quit. Um, I also want to um, highlight that um, uh, we've recently been working with a group called the uh, Promotores Collaborative within our county to make sure that there's direct um, community outreach and education to our Spanish-speaking um, communities. Um, they have been doing a, a wonderful job of getting out and talking to, to people um, in the community and have been bringing back really important information that they share at our coalition meetings. So um, we're really pleased with that and, and do feel that that's a, a tremendous step forward for us on, on making sure we're engaging with, with all communities. Trent? Um, let me just say that the um, inequities in tobacco marketing that you mentioned, the, the inequities don't end there. They continue with icing, cheaper ices for tobacco products available in areas, neighborhoods with more black residents. Um, availability, more stores selling tobacco products in neighborhoods that have a lower household median income and a higher proportion of black residents. The state uh, tobacco control program is highly focused in reducing these tobacco-related disparities. Um, everything they do has that analysis on who is benefiting from this work, these policies, trying to bring, um, trying to reduce these inequities. Let me say that Prop 31, which would ban flavored tobacco products, including menthol cigarettes, would go a huge way towards reducing smoking rates among Black and other populations because menthol makes it so much easier to begin smoking to begin with. Um, in the U.S., it's estimated that if the United States were to pass a menthol ban, over 1.3 million U.S. smokers would just com quit completely. And this is based on uh, evidence out of Canada where they banned menthol cigarettes. And instead of switching to non-flavored uh, cigarettes, people decided to quit. Um, and the healthcare savings and the lives saved would just be immeasurable. Um, so really, Prop 31 will reduce inequities uh, in, in tobacco use. Ari, did you want to add anything? Yeah, well, again, it's, it's really something that you see is that a lot of disenfranchised populations may have higher rates of lung cancer and other chronic diseases. And Prop 31 is attacking that root cause. It's attacking what is causing those disparities, what is causing that suffering later in life and all those poor health outcomes. We really want to see people be healthy. We want to see people uh, achieving their best, living to older ages without disability, without morbidity, without frequent visits to, do to hospitals. Um, and this is something that can help many different people. 
whether it's African-Americans, youth who will become older and hopefully won't smoke. Um, there's a lot of pop, a lot of people that can benefit from Prop 31 in all sorts of different socioeconomic classes from all sorts of different backgrounds. And this is really something that can help a wide variety of people. Keep an eye out for Prop 31 on your ballots, listeners. And I wanted to ask our guest if there's anything else that you want to include or emphasize that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, This is Amy. Um, It's never too late to start quitting. Um, You do extend um, your life years if you do uh, quit. And there are supports for you to help you get through that process. We'd love to help connect you to those services. So please um, give us, um, please keep us in mind when you uh, want to quit. Also, um, I will put a plug in for our uh, county's Tobacco Control Coalition. They are a great group to work with, and um, they um, are very supportive. If you're looking um, to help our community with its tobacco policies, please um, visit tobaccofreeslo.org. I want to give a plug for the Tobacco Prevention Toolkit at Stanford. Um, It is a resource to educate parents and educators to help prevent youth, um, middle and high school student use of tobacco nicotine. So if you just search for Stanford Prevention Toolkit, Tobacco Prevention Toolkit, my colleagues have done an amazing job at creating this set of resources. And then the last thing is go out and vote. Um, It's important to have your voice heard please vote. Thank you so much to each of you for joining us today and everything you do in our communities to promote health, safety, and well-being. Our guests today have been Trent Johnson, co-chair of the San Luis Obispo Tobacco Control Coalition and program manager of the Tobacco Policy Studies Research Group at the Stanford Prevention Research Center, Amy Gilman, Tobacco Control Program Manager at the San Luis Obispo County Public Health Department, and Ari Hallemeiser, Cal Poly Public Health Club President and fourth-year student at Cal Poly in the Public Health Program. We learned more about tobacco use in our local communities, along with the efforts that are underway to address them. These dynamics are complicated by the role of the tobacco industry targeting vulnerable populations, along with the broader dynamic of racial disparities. We hope you will join Central Coast Voices for our next show on Thursday, November 10th at 1 p.m. with host Lasa Mosti. Central Coast Voices has been sponsored by Action for Healthy Communities and the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation in collaboration with KCBX. I'm your host, Mario Spinoza-Kulik, and thank you for joining us today.